Turn your Bibles this evening to Isaiah chapter 6. We'll start there. We'll go to several passages, though, this evening. Isaiah chapter 6. You're in the midst of the great turkey progression. Where are we at? Let's see here. So a couple days ago, we were at the hot carved turkey on the platters, served so beautifully, right? So about now, a couple, couple, three days in, we're at the turkey sandwiches with the mayo on, on one slice of the bread. Um, a day or two from now, we'll double that mayo as the turkey gets drier. We add more stuff to it. And then if uh, your mom was like my mom or your home was like the home I grew up in, we'll end up with creamed turkey on toast. I don't know where the end is. Where do you end up? Turkey smoothies? Is that like where this ends up? Just, I don't know. Watch out if we have smoothies in the kitchen coming up here last year. Hey, at least they'll be healthy. All right, can't let that turkey go to waste, can we? Yes, we can. It crosses a line. You can't do anything with it anymore. We're getting close to that probably as it is. So anyway, I think I'll stick with the turkey sandwich. Um, extra mayo, not too bad. Isaiah chapter 6, we'll look here this evening at uh, starting here at this passage and then uh, spend a little time at three, three psalms with a united theme that uh, really the Lord's uh, been pressed in my heart recently that go along with this passage and then we'll follow through a couple other Old Testament verses and then a couple places in the New Testament and then we'll come full circle and end up right back here at Isaiah chapter 6. So the Bibles will be active this evening, uh, but we'll start here, Isaiah chapter 6. Let me just read uh, here quickly verses 1 through 5, and then we'll pray. Isaiah 6, 1. The year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am in the man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to gather together into your house. We're grateful, Lord, for each one that's here. We pray, Lord, that your word would be a help. And, uh, Lord, as we consider this important truth of what Isaiah saw, I pray, Lord, that we would see you in a similar way. Lord, I pray that you'd work in hearts. Thank you for uh, those that joined the church this morning. We pray for those baptized recently. We pray for continued work in our ministries of those that are going out and bringing others to you, the classes today. Thank you so much that we have a, a church, Lord, that seeks to fulfill your great commission. Lord, I pray that you would again bless our evening here, gather together tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 5, uh, this will be my text this evening. Uh, near the end of the verse, the Bible says, Mine eyes have seen the King. Mine eyes have seen the King. So, uh, if you would, you keep your finger here, but turn back to Second Chronicles chapter 26. So, Isaiah saw the king here in the year of the death of King Uzziah. This is what our passage said here. 
So Isaiah's uh, he covered several kings. His life covered several kings, and Uzziah was one of them. In Second Chronicles chapter twenty-six, we see that Uzziah was a good king. In verse five of Second Chronicles, the Bible says that as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. It's a good promise. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. Kind of a simple motto for our lives. Reminder for us: We seek the Lord then God will prosper us in his way and in his time. Uh, we stop seeking the Lord, then we're out on an island. We're on our own. We're a ship and we've lost our oars. We're at the whim of whatever comes our way. So Uzziah started off as a, as a good king. He sought the Lord. God made him to prosper. But verse 16, there was a problem. Uzziah just became strong. It's interesting that the Bible calls it just like that, um, verse 16, but when he was strong, we think strength is a good thing, often, don't we? But here Uzziah took a good thing, and it became a bad thing for him, because it became what he relied on, what marked him was his, his own strength, his ability. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord as God. And went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. So here was a king trying to do the job of a priest as well. So we thank the Lord for the Lord Jesus Christ, who's prophet, priest, and king. This was not the job of Uzziah to fulfill the role of priest as well. Verse 17, and Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him fourscore priests, 80, 80 men, 80 priests went. And they were valiant men. In verse 18, they withstood Uzziah the king, said unto him, And it pertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, thou hast trespassed. Neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord God. But, sad to say, Uzziah was strong in his own mind. And so because he was strong in his own mind, when he got warned, he rejected that. Because he was strong in his mind. He was strong. So when the warning or the correction came, he pushed back against it. Verse 19, then Uzziah was wroth, and he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth with the priests, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests, 80 of them, looked upon him. Behold, he was leprous in the forehead. And they thrust him out from thence. Yea, himself hasted also to go out, because the Lord had smitten him. And Uzziah the king was a leper under the day of his death, and dwelt in a several house, being a leper. For he was cut off from the house of the Lord. And Jotham his son was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. Verse 22, now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, first and last, did Isaiah the prophet the son of Amos, right. So here we have a linking together of Isaiah with this king Uzziah in Second Chronicles 26. So back to Isaiah 6. Uh, we'll be back there in just a second. A couple observations about Uzziah here that we can learn from Isaiah. One thing is that Isaiah did not place his focus on a man, even this king. He could have used what happened to Uzziah to get discouraged and take his focus off the Lord. 
Well, Uzziah messed up. What, what hope is there for me? Or he could have spent a lot of his life just, uh, just talking about how bad Uzziah was for what he had done. Didn't allow Uzziah's wrongdoing to get his focus off of the Lord. Another thing we learn about this is that it was Uzziah's arrogancy that brought him low. And we have promise from God that uh, that will happen every time. A man's pride, the Bible says, will bring him low. That's not a maybe, that's a promise from God. And so we must fear pride and arrogancy uh, at all costs. Back in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, we see this statement from the seraphim, holy, holy, holy. And I think that those, that statement, that phrase, that thought about God as holy, uh, three times would have been familiar to Isaiah. Turn now, if you would, to Psalm chapter 93. Isaiah certainly had access to the inspired Psalms. Most likely, Psalms that we'll look at here, beginning in 93, were written by David. There's some things inside of them that indicate that to us. Psalm 93 through 100 uh, are often referred to as the coronation psalms. By coronation, we simply mean psalms for a king or psalms about a king. Um, If you like uh, reading about or learning about the old classical composers, um, uh, one of the old composers named Dvorak actually wrote a... uh, put one of these psalms to music, as did Handel, put another one of these psalms to music. And um, so in Psalm 93, and in Psalm 97, and in Psalm 99, those three psalms find a united theme. Each of these psalms begin with the statement, the Lord reigneth. Okay, so you see there in Psalm 93, the Lord reigneth. And if you look ahead there to Psalm 97, you see that statement there again, the Lord reigneth. And then in Psalm 99, the Lord reigneth. Now I want you to look at something. Take a look then, that's how each of these psalms begin. Take a look at how each of these three psalms end. Okay. Look at Psalm 93, verse 5. There at the end of that verse, we have, Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. Then Psalm 97. Psalm 97, uh, the end of the last verse, the end of verse 12 says, And give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. Okay. And then Psalm 99, last verse. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. So each of these three Psalms, 93, 97, and 99, start with the idea that the Lord reigneth, he's the king. And they end with the truth of the holiness of God. And so here the Lord reigns, he is king, and the psalmist, as he pondered and wrote about these truths, led him to end up with a uh, being convinced 
of God's holiness. He's the king, and he is holy. Look at Psalm 93, and uh, just as a for instance, verses 3 and 4, we'll take from this psalm. Psalm 93, verses 3 and 4, speak of the reign of God over all of creation. Verse 3, The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. Psalm 93, the Lord reigns and he reigns over all of his creation. Psalm 97, let's look there. Psalm 97, this psalm begins, the Lord reigneth. Let's look at verses 6 through 9. Reigneth over what? Verse 6. The heavens declare his righteousness, and all the people see his glory. Confounded be all they that serve graven images, that boast themselves of idols. Worship him, O ye gods. Zion heard and was glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoiced because of thy judgments, O Lord. For thou, Lord, art high above all the earth. Thou art exalted far above all gods. So this psalm tells us that the Lord reigns, not just over all of his creation, but he reigns over all of the idolatrous gods. What a blessing that is to think about the power of God over idols. Though many people in this world, we might not see them in our day-to-day lives, but many people in this world daily go and bow before a graven image. They worship those idols. They worship those graven images. God reigns over these idolatrous gods. And then look at Psalm 99. The Lord reigneth starts this psalm. The Bible says in verse 1, He sitteth between the cherubims, reference there to the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat. He sitteth between the cherubims, let the earth be moved. The Lord is not moving. He's not going anywhere. He sits. He rules. He reigns. If there's anything that is going to be moved or bow the knee, it's the earth. It's the people of the earth. He sits. Let the earth be moved. But we know from Scripture that man is going to continue to set his teeth against God. We know that from Psalm chapter 2. The kings of the earth are going to rise up against him. And as we move forward in 2022 and beyond, we know that the world, many in the world, are going to reject God and challenge God. Turn, if you would, to Haggai. I'll give you 10 minutes. Haggai, almost near the end of the Old Testament, and then back up just a, a couple. Or you could do like me, and you can have your Bible marked with a little thing there. So I cheated. Haggai chapter 2. Psalm 99 says, again, he saideth, let the earth be moved. The Lord, his word, and his ways are not going anywhere. They are eternal. They are the anvil. Uh, Take a look here at what Haggai understood about what the future of this world is going to be. Haggai chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. 
Haggai chapter 2, verse 6. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. It's going to shake the earth itself, verse 7. And I will shake all nations. This is the people. And the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. Haggai here is talking about the great tribulation that is around the corner for this world. Just after the Lord takes his saints to heaven, this earth will be shaken. Nature will be shaken, and the nations that have risen up in defiance to God will be shaken to their very core. Jeremiah 10.10, in similar fashion, says this, But the Lord is the true God, he is the living God, and an everlasting king. At his wrath the earth shall tremble. And the nations shall not be able to abide his indignation. Those that were so brave and so determined to go their own way will tremble when the Lord shakes this earth. The Lord saideth, let the earth tremble. Back now to Psalm chapter 99. Psalm 99, we saw the Lord reigneth, let the people tremble. Better now, listen, better now than later. Better to tremble at the wrath to come and respond to it now than to attempt to endure the great tribulation that comes. He said, verse 1 says, between the cherubim, let the earth be moved. Lord reigns. I'd like you to take a look at verses 3, 5, and 9. Verse 3, the Bible says, His name is holy. Verse 5 says, He is holy. Verse 9 says, The Lord our God is holy. Holy, holy, holy. Psalm 99. We see that in Isaiah 6, and we see that repeated. In Revelation chapter 4, this is the eternal song, this is the eternal truth about our God. He is holy. And so, in these three psalms, Psalm 93, 97, and 99, we see a theme. The Lord is king and his holiness is on display. The holiness of God in Isaiah chapter 6 was seen by Isaiah. Then he said, mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And that cleared the way for God to do what he wanted to do with Isaiah. He wanted him to confess humbly his sins. Then he wanted him to have ears ready to hear about what he wanted him to do. He saw the holiness of God. And then he said, mine eyes have seen the king, and then he's ready for the Lord to do a work. Jeannie Husey wrote one of the best loved hymns that uh, we sing in our hymn book, Lead Me to Calvary. 
She began writing when she was eight, had some of her work published at 13, and by the age of 24, many of her hymns were published. She wrote over 150 hymns. This one, Lead Me to Calvary, is most popular. King of my life, I crown thee now. She captured the important truth that the idea that the Lord is king is one thing, but king of my life, I crown thee now, it had to be hers. She had to see the king with her own eyes, just the same way that Isaiah had to say, mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts, woe is me. For I am undone. Lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. And she did just that with her life. Jeannie spent her entire life uh, caring for her sister who was unable to walk. She did this cheerfully. She told people, the Lord tells us to take up our cross daily. And that's what she did in this care. And so much so that she herself, early in life, um, found the fingers of her left hand curled up, unable to open back up again. And the fingers on her right hand would only bend at her knuckles because of the labor that she'd given to care for her sister. She went home to be with the Lord Uh, in 1958. One example of what, other than this hymn, might be an obscure believer who came face to face with the holiness of God and the Lord as king and then the Lord as her king and lived her life because of that. King on the earth is a frequent theme of the Old Testament prophets. The Old Testament prophets looked and they saw often the Lord ruling on the earth. We would call that time in the future the millennial reign, a thousand years when Jesus Christ will reign from Jerusalem and rule the earth with a rod of iron. Many of the Old Testament prophets looked off in the distance through the eyes of inspiration and saw that great tribulation when the Lord would shake the earth and try the nations and purge the earth. Many of them saw that. They saw then the future king over all the earth. And that is going to be a tremendous, wonderful time of history when the Lord Jesus Christ reigns from a throne in Jerusalem. But we must understand that in 2022, there's not that what we would say literal throne in Jerusalem. Turn, if you would, to Luke 17. But just because there's not a literal throne in Jerusalem, there is still today a kingdom. There is still a kingdom. Luke chapter 17. We'll read this passage in a moment. The rule of Jesus Christ on the earth during the millennium is often referred to in the Bible as the kingdom of heaven. We'll see that phrase repeated throughout scripture. This is the kingdom of heaven that then rules on the earth. But in Luke chapter 17, I'd like to direct your attention to a statement that Jesus makes 
to uh, others when he was uh, here on this earth. Luke chapter 17, verse 20 and 21. The Bible says, And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, Lo, here, or lo, there. And what must they have thought when he said this? For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. By that, he means the kingdom of God is among you or is present in your presence right this moment. The kingdom of God here in this context is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Turn to John chapter 14. The presence of Jesus Christ marks his kingdom, his rule. Is he present in you? Are you saved? Are you a Christian? John chapter 14 verse 20. The Bible says this, Jesus' words, At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me... Look at these words, and I in you. Are you saved? Are you a Christian? Jesus is in you. And in the person of Jesus is a king, is a ruler, is the Lord. Turn to John chapter 17, verse 23. John 17, 23. The Bible says this, I in them. The word kingdom is interesting. It includes the word king and it ends with the letters D-O-M. D-O-M. King, a ruler. And from that word ending there, D-O-M, we get words like uh, dominion or Dominate a king that rules, a king that dominates, a king that is in charge. The kingdom of God in the person of Christ in us. This is his rule, his power, his control over you and I as individuals. Isaiah said, my eyes have seen the king. He wasn't speaking for anybody else. He didn't say our eyes. He may have said this, I don't know about anybody else. I don't know about anybody else around me, but my eyes have seen a holy God, and my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts, and I'm ready to respond to that. Kingdom of God, his power, his control over you and within you as a regenerated individual. Back up just a few chapters of John chapter 1, verse 26. John 1, 26. No doubt the Old Testament prophets, many of them prophesied a coming king. We have in the... Isaiah chapter 53, 
prophecy of the suffering servant. Prophecy that, that uh, many of the Jews of the days of Christ missed, overlooked. They wanted to go right to that king who was ruling in Jerusalem to break the bands of the Romans that were controlling them. But I think from the very onset of Christ's ministry, we see who he is and what he came here to be and to do. John one twenty six, the Bible says, John answered them, saying, I baptize you with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. So John says there's going to be one right here among you. Verse 29, the next day John seeth Jesus coming to him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God. The one standing among them was to be the Lamb of God, the sacrifice for our sins. Verse 36, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold, the Lamb of God. Verse 41, he first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah. We have found the prophesied one. We've found the one who is going to lead us to victory and who is going to rule. Verse 45, Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did right. We found the one that was written about by all the prophets in the Old Testament. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith unto him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. Verse 49, Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. This one among them was to be the Lamb of God that would suffer and die and shed his blood for their sins. Found the Messiah, the prophesied one, the anointed one of the Old Testament. The sinless one, the Son of God. This one is deity in verse 49. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King. Yes, the Lamb of God is the King in the person of Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian and you're saved... This king lives within you. Some people say, the sun's not out today. And you usually have like that witty, uh, um, well-seasoned elementary school teacher who steps in and says, ah, no, not the case. The sun is always out. The sun is a constant. There may be clouds above that are blocking the sun, but the sun is always out. Jesus is always the king. Always the king. That vision of him may be clouded by trials in our life or discouragements or difficulties that come and block that to our shame, to our shame, block that truth or dim that truth in our mind. But he is always the king. We are the variables, not him. So we want a good mindset for making decisions. What's a good mindset? See your king. We want a plan to help sort through the issues of life that sometimes seem unresolvable. What's a good plan? 
for us to see our king. He is constant. The clouds and storms of life, the trials, the deep hurts, the misunderstandings, the battles, they may be in and around us and above us and surround us and sometimes seem like that's all that there is. But to see at the same time the truth of my personal king and your personal king, what a reassurance in this world. What a way to make sure that we are calibrated with what really counts and what's really going on and what's always above those clouds is that constant, just like the sun is our king. But also, what conviction and confession and remorse for my sins come about when I have my eyes seeing the holy God and seeing my king when his rule is real to me. Back to Isaiah chapter 6, here in in conclusion. Come back around here to Isaiah chapter 6. Again, I think we could say Isaiah could have focused on a lot of things at this time. His kingdom, his country was in transition here in Isaiah chapter 6. They just lost king and the king's son, who's a good king, Jotham, hopeful he was coming to power. But I find it interesting that Isaiah didn't get too down because the one king became a leper and he didn't get get too excited because this young king seemed to be maybe on track. He just had a clear vision, a clear pipeline straight to what never, ever changed, and that is he saw his king. Verse 5, mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. If Isaiah had not seen the king personally, for himself, in his own life, regardless of anybody else around him, he probably would have walked away with an unchanged heart, unconfessed sin, and would have ignored this call to action that comes later in this chapter. But because he came to the place where he could personally, as an individual, honestly say, mine eyes have seen the king, he went away with a changed heart, deep humility, Sincere confession of his sins, a hearing of his king's call of action that he had for him personally, and then simple obedience to these matters of eternity. Surely our actions reveal if we have or have not or if we are or are not seeing our king for who he is. Surely our actions reveal that. If they fill up on any given Sunday during football season, over one million people are in an NFL stadium on the Lord's Day. 
any given Sunday if they fill up. As we speak right now, there are some 70, 60 to 70,000 people that are outside in a place that the temperature is just the same thing that it was when we came in, same temperature, only it's raining. And they hurried out of their cars to hurry to spend four hours outside in 45-degree rainy weather to watch grown men maneuver a pigskin over a hundred-yard grid. We hurried out of the weather into church so we could get out of that, right? They hurried out of their warmth into the cold. Sometimes the dedication of people for their entertainment puts us Christians to shame in our dedication for our king. But when we see our king, when we see our king, we have a changed heart. We have deep humility. We sincerely confess our own sins and forget about everybody else. We're able to hear the king's specific, unique call to action for us, for you and I as individuals. And we find ourselves obedient to matters of eternity. I love the thought behind the song, The King and I Walk Down Life's Road Together. Amazing. A king? Condescend? To be that one that walks beside me down life's road together? where many people go passing by. The greatest one, the greatest one, and I, a lonely beggar, walk hand in hand, the king and I. Why he should care for me will always be a mystery. He holds the whole world in his hand. But what am I? I have the opportunity, you have the opportunity, To do what Isaiah did, to say, mine eyes have seen the king. Lord, we